Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. It's episode number 42, and I have a wonderful guest to share with you today. I just got off the interview with her a little while ago earlier this afternoon and I just had this big beaming smile on my face because I knew this was an important topic and this seemed like someone who was going to be a really good person to talk about it but the conversation just went better than I could have planned and we were just in the flow talking about some very important and difficult topics. So Um, It's important for me to offer a content warning here because we do discuss um, the really the focus of Nancy's work and the interview is incest and uh, being a resource for people who are survivors of incest. So there's no certainly no graphic details, but just as a warning um, that if this is something that perhaps is not for you right now, that is completely fine. We'll be here for you at the next episode or just something to be aware of if this might bring up some difficult things for you that you might need to have a plan for self-care after listening. But she really, really, um, I had no concerns about just trusting her to share things um, as she so eloquently does And I, like I said, I think this is just important topic. We did also discuss suicide some, as she's also a survivor of suicide um, in her family. So uh, it's intense, but honestly important. So if there's a part of you, even if you're not like, oh, this is something that like could bring up stuff for me, but you're just like, ew, that does not sound like a fun way that I want to spend the next hour of my life. I really urge you to to just give it a listen. And I think that you'll really pretty instantly connect with Nancy and recognize just why this is so important. Um, she shares some statistics and resources. And she also hosts her own podcast called Tale of the Bell. You can find that anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can find her her website, her offerings, her resources, all at taleofthebell.com. All of that will be in the show notes as well. So I, I just am honored to get to share Nancy and her story on this podcast. And I want to share with you the card that I just drew for us. So I've been mostly drawing from the Wildwood Tarot deck, but I wanted to change it up and I drew a card for us from the New Era Elements Tarot. And I drew the Ten of Water. So this deck is um, in, obviously, by the name of the title, Different Elements. The art is absolutely beautiful. It's um, all created by Eleanor Piper. And uh, I just can't tell you how gorgeous these cards are. But the 10 of water or repletion. So you're just looking at this beautiful 
hand drawing of a, a lake or um, some kind of body of water with these 10 rocks that are and a, and a little plant growing out from one of them. And it just really symbolizes that honoring where in your life is there a need for just recognizing, ha, ah, I've come so far. I may not even feel like completion so much as just honoring the process, the journey of doing the work, the hard work that you've done, taking a moment to just kind of bask in that and acknowledge it and maybe rest, uh, maybe smile and celebrate yourself. And that's really how I'm looking at this card for us today. Oh, and a couple more super exciting things that I want to share with y'all. So uh, you may have seen that I just launched a brand new weeknight elemental rituals guidebook that is free and I am really proud of this one. Probably more so than I've been about any of the other similar kind of stuff that I've created because I know that not only is it like nice and beautiful to look at, but it is incredibly useful and comes from a place of like, this is something that I need and this really works for me and I think it will work for a lot of the people who share similar interests. So I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed creating it and I would love to hear any feedback that you want to share about it. Um, even if it's like, hey, I could use more of this or what the fuck do you mean by this? So uh, it doesn't all have to be positive feedback, but whatever you want to share with me, I would love to hear it. Or, you know, tag me in your stuff at Val K. Martin. Um, one more thing, too, is that I have just launched my own private Facebook community. It's called Seeds of Power, which refers to each of us as a beautiful seed full of potential and that if we can come together and really step into the power of everything that we're capable of as these badass little seeds that we can do so much and uh, this community is for women and women identifying people only and you can read more about that in the description um, and I just oh my gosh you guys I launched it literally yesterday morning and the response that I've already gotten and the engagement that I've had. I mean, I'm inviting my friends first, like friends who I think might be into it, but saying to them, like, please only do this if you actually want to do it. And already I'm just like blown away and so honored by their presence and their engagement. And I just know this is going to be a badass community and it's going to expand and grow and my goal is not to make like this behemoth group where everyone just feels like an anonymous little circle, but to really offer a space for genuine connection in a forum where we don't get a lot of that. Um, like, yes, I'm going to be sharing some things that I'm doing and that I'm up to, but in the spirit of like fostering genuine conversation and connection around it and inviting people to share their own stuff, share their own threads and their own questions and ideas and requests for support and all of that goodness. So please come and join me if you are so moved. 
you can find links to both the Weeknight Elemental Rituals guidebook and to my new Facebook community at ValerieKMartin.com slash howdy. And that's K the initial. So I don't think there's a lot else that I really want to get into in the intro. I really just want to share what Nancy has to offer us. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Nancy Allen. Yeah, so I moved down to Georgia in 2014 after the death of my husband. This was my fresh start with my children. Yeah. Um, and how old were were they at the time of that of that big transition and that move? So they were 14. My I have two special needs twins. Mm-hmm. I got adopted into the foster care system. Awesome. And they were 14 at the time of his death. So 14 still when we moved. And then I have two biological children that are 30 now and 28. So at the time they would have been, uh, <laughs> can I do yeah. the math? <laughs> Five years ago. They would have been like, yeah, like yeah. 20, 25 and 23. Yeah. 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 Hell of a, of a transition for everybody yeah. in that, that time in life. Yeah. So my oldest moved down with me. Um, and was still Great. helping me, but my second had actually stayed up in, we're, I'm from Massachusetts, so he Okay, stayed. I could hear the accent, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a Georgia accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I was saying a little bit before we, um, before I started recording that e- your email came through and, um, not embarrassed to say, many of them I just file away. I don't, you know, it's, they haven't really done their research on me. I don't feel com- I, uh, obligated to respond, but yours immediately just struck me uh, because of your focus and that it's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, so your focus is on incest, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. when you, I'm just picturing like walking into you know, the cocktail party or the book club and going around the circle. So what does everyone do? And, and you open with that, like, how does that normally go? I can shut down a room very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's the, you know, it's the conversations around, well, what do you do? And I'm like, so I'll start with, you know, I'm getting into life coaching. It's not my background, but that's what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have people, well, what do you specialize in? And then I, I'll tell them I specialize in helping incest survivors that have gone through therapy and are still feeling either that they're isolated or they need some help just getting through the everyday pieces of life. Yeah. Like everyone goes to a friend and has a conversation when, you know, you're getting a divorce or you're having a bad day or your kid did something or whatever. But when you're an incest survivor, there's another whole level and layer and you see things through a different lens and it constantly comes through. So I, I started this really about, uh, it was really only about three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was directly as a result of, as we said, my move down to Georgia and the experiences that I had at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into kind of more of your background, but, but that is just, I mean, it's such a gap, a need that I'm so glad that you're meeting um, and striving to to get the word out that this exists because, mm-hmm. and I love how you said uh, for people who've gone through therapy because you're you're very transparent. I you know on your website and everything, you're like I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to pretend to be. Um, and so there's a place for that, 
but mm-hmm. absolutely that it's, it's kind of like, you know, in, in addiction recovery, there's, there's treatment, there's therapy, there's dealing with underlying issues, but then there's sober coaching, there's aftercare, there's halfway house, there's sponsors. And, and we need to have that for, especially like you said, for something that people are less likely to just go to their social support group, because even if they really trusted them, just getting it. Yeah. It's the people don't understand. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole piece of it. And I'll give you an example, right? It's I'm, um, I'm parenting a child and I'm struggling with, I'm not comfortable giving my child a bath. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Is that not yeah. okay? How do I yeah. get through that? Well, it's reassuring when you're talking to another survivor that's going through the same kind of thing and they're giving you tips. Well, okay, well, do you have something you can do it with? Or mm-hmm. why do you have to do it? Why can't someone else do it for you? What can you mm-hmm. do? It's that validation that's got nothing to do with healing. Yeah. To do with going through a moment. Exactly. It's life stuff. Yeah. That, that there might be times where new layers emerge and somebody does need to go back to therapy in addition, but, but there's going to be just things that come up that don't mean that, you know, you've, you've, oh, well, now I have to go and do six more months of therapy, but to have other services and people who can help you to kind of guide through that. um, That's wonderful. So, so I would love to kind of just hear you share a little bit about how this became your passion so any any parts of your of your story that you feel would be helpful in people just kind of understanding why you're here today talking about this sure so let me I guess I go back um I'm in my mid-50s and so I'll go back to the 70s um uh, first year of mandatory reporting in the state of Massachusetts wow yeah holy cow yeah I was um 13 and I was being sexually abused by my father. Um, it, it, I had, um, it had been escalating over the course of a year um, to the point where I was spending a lot of time hiding in the attic, literally hiding in the attic. And because I would potentially be the first person home from school and he would come home and I'd be listening to make sure that it was somebody else coming home and not him and that kind of thing. So um, initially it went on for about a year and I, he was a podiatrist, and he used to, um, he, he had his own practice, and I used to help him in his practice on breaks, and then someone was coming. And so it became the situation where I was more likely to be made available to him in his practice if I'm working one-on-one with him. Mm-hmm. And it just was getting um, more difficult to uh, avoid and it was getting more extreme with him and more frequent, um, like multiple times a week frequent. Mm-hmm. And I had a teacher that actually recognized a behavioral change in me. And I, basically, I was terrified of, you know, summer coming mm-hmm. up. So it's like May or June time frame. And so they reported it to the guidance counselor. Wow. And the guidance counselor then had a conversation with me. And of course, this is a male. And right, I'm 13 years old. And this is 14, 13, 14. <coughs> It was 14 mm-hmm. when I was reported. Mm-hmm. But so I'm like 14 years old, and here's this male guidance counselor basically talking to me about what's going on and whatever. And I'm like, okay, so this is supposed to be a secret. I know that if I say something, what, what he said would happen would happen. Wow. So I'm not going to say anything. So I basically sat in, <laughs> in mm-hmm. session with the guidance counselor going, I'm not talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So he then referred me to a female guidance counselor. I'm thinking that might oh. help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same thing, right? Yeah. You can't, how do you get that to happen, right? And then ultimately, um, I was referred to a therapist. Good. Um, and now I'm in a situation where I'm going to a therapist that I really don't, I'm afraid, right? I'm a terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Here I am, um, 14. I've got a father telling me that if I say something, I'll destroy the family. It'll be uh-huh. all my fault. You know? And eventually, it was probably after three or four therapy sessions, actually. It was around July. My mother was away. My mother was a nurse practitioner. Mm. And so she worked the evenings. She worked the 3 to 11 shift. Um, so I, she wasn't home a lot. I didn't have a lot of um, connection with her. And I had written a note to my sister who I was staying with. I had some older siblings. And I, she basically asked me what I was doing in therapy. And I, mm. for some reason, I came out to her. I can't tell you why, but I felt yeah. And I did. And after that, she then came with me to my therapy session. And now it's like there's a runaway train happening and I'm totally not in control. She's been telling the therapist what had happened because apparently it had happened with her for years prior. Hmm. And she had told my grandmother and my uncle when nothing had been done about it. So the therapist then now gets Child Protective Services involved and end up going to court and so there's this whole situation here of an emergency foster care placement with myself wow. and my younger brother and sister who were twins. And um, that whole experience is in there. I end up having to go to court and I can remember just standing in front of a judge with 15, 20 people in the room, including my parents, their attorneys, the states on the other side. I mean, and I, again, here I am looking up at a judge. He's asking me what had happened and I'm unable to speak again. Yeah. Outcome of that was that my, um, my father was uh, removed from the home and, mm-hmm. and sentenced to court ordered or sentenced and put into court ordered ther- therapy. Mm-hmm. He'd completely admitted to it. He apologized in court and he completely admitted to it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then I also was <coughs> ordered to continue into therapy. And I mm-hmm. also was removed from the home where I spent summer in a kinship foster care placement with one of my older siblings mm-hmm. so um what did i take away from that i took away from that that okay the court just agreed with me that i am absolutely equally at fault for this because i just got the same punishment that he did wow yeah yeah and i'm being pulled away from everything that i know from friends from a life that i am living with my sister and she, she i mean we were sleeping on the on the floor in sleeping bags because she mm. just gotten this home with her, her new husband and yeah. no furniture. I mean, so it was mm. kind of this crazy, um, the court system in my view reinforced for me the belief that saying something was worse than enduring the, the abuse. Right. And so, so for anybody who's ever said, well, why wouldn't somebody report that? Hello? Yeah. Because at that point yeah. in time reporting, it was, was equally, if not more mm-hmm. traumatic and reinforcing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were teachers involved that knew of some things and didn't do anything. At one point, there was uh. involved that I had spoken to a priest who gave me my penance. I was, I was raised Catholic, right? Gave me my penance and then Wow. Said, yeah. So, I mean, so the, all this reinforcement of yeah. it was my fault. Yeah. So, anyway, went through therapy, court ordered, um, which was at that point in time, it was useless. First of all, I now had a therapist who had 
turned reported this, how am I going to trust this person? Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same therapist that my father was ultimately using. Oh. It was just, it was just kind of this. Yeah. Mess. Just a, totally. Totally. Yeah. We know a lot more today than we did then. Yeah. And it's still a lot can go wrong today in, in the process of justice and, and all of that. But yeah, I mean, back then it was just a shit show. It, yeah, it was a mess. And, and, you know, I got caught in the middle of all that, mm-hmm. which then reinforced for me that I would never say anything again. Yeah. I, it wasn't, one, it wasn't worth it. And two, I blamed me. So it became uh. a, how do I be better? How do I do better? How do I, all of those things. And for me, I'm fortunate that I was intelligent and I found escape in studying. Mm-hmm. So schoolwork was a place where I felt nurtured, where I felt connected and I could get lost in just picking up a book and reading or do, um, I'm an actuary. Um, yeah. by so it, just studying and doing complex problems, I can get lost in it. Yeah. So it yeah. focuses the brain. Anyway, within six months of being returned home, um, from from the kinship foster care placement while I was still in uh, state custody, although a guardianship, um, it started again. And mm. within a few months after that, I was pregnant with my father's child. I'm just like, why, why, why? How is this man not in jail at this point? Right? Exactly. exactly. Unbelievable. Well, at that point in time, well, first of all, he was a doctor, right? So yeah, the, just the power and the power oh. of all of that, the the, the disbelief. <clears throat> this wasn't something that happened to, um, you know, white right. class, you know, mm-hmm. educated families, which is completely crap. It happens mm-hmm. across the board. Every demographic that there is, mm-hmm. it's, it's there. Um, anyway, so there was all of that. And for me, it actually probably, it went on fast when I was in college because mm-hmm. I would never say anything again. Yeah. So, here was an opportunity to stop something a year after in mm-hmm. that instead then continued on for, for about another eight years yeah. because of the way that it was mishandled in terms right. of the reporting. Wow. So anyway, to getting back to the original question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was doing actually very well. I was 28 when my father died. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gotten married. I had two children. Um, we had moved a little bit away and mm-hmm. Um, I had an amazing husband who, um, he was, we were 15 when we got together. Wow. And yeah, he's the only guy I ever dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were t- five, about five years together before we got married. I got married just two weeks after my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. I had two kids early, mid twenties. So by 28, my father, um, died. Um, mm-hmm. and that just, everything I had been through at that point had been really compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. I was a very highly functional um, woman. Uh, I was the primary breadwinner. My husband didn't work. He stayed home with the children. Yeah. Um, and Just that overachieving to yeah, cope. Was, yeah. That's the way that I coped. Right? That was my mm-hmm. addiction. Um, and I do consider it an addiction. Because yeah. That's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. It was my escape. When my father died, my world opened up and I, I couldn't control it anymore. I couldn't mm-hmm. keep it contained. And I, I ended up with nightmares. I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. I could, didn't understand what was happening. Clearly, I now understand that that was PTSD. Right. <laughs> I get it. But yeah. at the time, it was just a, it was a mess. And because it be- had become so normalized and, 
you know, it's like you may not have, have had any inclination that you had been so traumatized by that experience. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know, right? right? You know, I didn't know my childhood wasn't, I mean, I knew it wasn't normal, yeah. but I didn't understand what I missed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Understand, you know, what was, because you don't know what you don't have. Right. You didn't understand the like many complex layers of what was happening to you and your psyche and your everything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So at 28, at 28, I um, became suicidal mm-hmm. a few weeks after he died. Um, and I, I was, I, I remember sitting holding a bottle of pills and my husband and two little kids, they were one and three at the time, um, were he had them out and I remember sitting there and I'm like, I can't do this to them. Mm-hmm. And so I called a 24 hour um, hotline kind of place. They told me to come in. I went in, they then uh, sent me to the emergency room and I went into an acute psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. where I was there for about three weeks. And then I came out and then a month <laughs> later I couldn't hold it together. So I was back in for another and then slowly it went to outpatient kind of thing where it was five weeks five days a week four days a week three days a week in a day treatment type program good Mm -hmm. yeah and so i got the help that i needed and through all of that i had all kinds of experiences with work for the first time in my life i actually had to tell my employer what was going on yeah and for the first time in my life it was like i was actually accepted i had an employer step up for me in an amazing way and said tell me what you need Mm. tell me how we help you and they did wow that was amazing but and I know that's not common but it was amazing yeah and it's just always a good reminder that sometimes I mean that there is a lot of there are a lot of good people in the world and there's a lot of love in the world and sometimes even in places where we might not expect it exactly and so for the first time for me it was like okay so this isn't normal and I'm not I'm I am good enough People do accept me even knowing this, you know, so I don't have to have this deep, dark secret. It's up to me to share when I want to share it. Mm -hmm. So I got through that over probably about a year and a half, two years. And I then started thriving. I, my husband and I adopted two children through the foster care system. Mm -hmm. Um, And from my thirties and forties, I, it was amazing. I, it was because now I understood all the little things in life about appreciating things, you know, mm. appreciating those little moments that people take for granted. Well, I didn't take them for granted. Yeah, you had a new lease. Exactly. So 20 years, I'm pretty much thriving. And then at age 49, <laughs> my husband had his own personal stuff and mm. it was like a, a, a perfect storm situation. I was away on a business trip. He was home with our then 14-year-old special needs twins, and um, he committed suicide. And my twins were the ones that found him in the morning, and I was trying to call from Georgia to, we were living in Maine, to Maine to try and get them help. I woke up a neighbor who came over, tried CPR, but my my children basically watched their father die. Yeah. Mm. So in the mix of healing from that now trauma, of, you know, I've, I've lost the only man that has um, ever, ever truly, truly loved, yeah. right? He'd been with me since I was 15. Um, he was the primary caregiver and mm-hmm. I was the one, I was 
commuting every other week down to Georgia for work and he would stay home with the kids. And so my whole lifestyle changed. Yeah. And again, different employer, but again, I had another employer step up and just totally embrace me and say, how do we help take as much? I had the president of the U S organization call me and tell me, um, take as much time as you need. I'm like, I don't have time. He goes, we will cover you. Mm. And so they let me work from home for a period of time. And then eventually they helped me relocate down to Georgia. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up in Georgia because that's where their home office was. Yeah. Yeah. But in the process of all of that, what happened for me is that I, I went back to therapy and I was fortunate in that I ended up going to therapy with the therapist that my late husband had been working with. Oh, wow. And I originally went to her with more of a, please help me understand him. Sure. But in the process, I ended up be, uh, becoming her client as well. Um, you know, kind of an interesting kind of twist there because I was his next to kin, I could authorize the release. Right. Information. So in a lot of ways, she helped, you know, sense of validating for me that this wasn't about me. His right. Was yeah. not yeah, and our kids. Huge. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was huge for me and very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. So again, going through all of that was um, when I came down to Georgia, I was looking for some more support past therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I learned, I joined a life half a loft group. And so here I am now with grieving um, widows and widowers. Most of them had been at least a year out, right? Mm-hmm. So it's how do you pull back your life? You're past the immediate trauma, mm-hmm. but how do you move forward? Where do you go from here? Is there life after this? And in that, I, it was helpful. But here yeah. I am. I'm only 49 at that time. And most of them were older. Um, so they didn't have, most of them did not have young children that they were dealing with. They weren't dealing with a suicide. And then to top it on off, I'm still dealing with, I lost my safe place. Yeah. I didn't just have Your secure I base. Just, mm-hmm. I lost my rock. I lost the place that um, I, and so I was having nightmares again and trying to put that into context for someone else that was also grieving, but didn't understand that added component. Yeah. I looked everywhere for support and I couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. And it was just another life experience. I didn't feel I needed therapy. I needed people that understood me Yeah, as an incest survivor. Yep. And it was 25 years after I had originally gone through all this stuff, maybe not 25, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but after I'd originally gone yeah. through all this stuff after my father had died and there were still so few resources available beyond therapy. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was like, well, who's they? Hmm. <laughs> Why do I expect someone else to do something? <laughs> yeah. And that's how I started down a path of, how do I help others that may be going through some of things? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So in a little bit, I do want to get to breaking down more like what does that support look like? What can you mm-hmm. offer? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll also mention just kind of in, in delving into your story more um, before we press record, I, I mentioned that I've learned recently about survivors of incest anonymous and, mm-hmm. and you understandably said, well, it's pretty religious. And I mean, frankly, most 12 step stuff is. And I think even though there's yes, different 
groups, different individual meetings will have different cultures around it. Um, even if you're, I mean, not expected to be Christian in many places, that's nine out of 10 people in the room may likely be, especially here in the Bible belt where we are. Um, but, but even so it's, you're at least expected to believe in this higher power. And as much as, you know, I can say for myself, like, well, yeah, if I, if I angle it this way and, and frame it like this and use these words, then that might work for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. Um, and, and I would love to hear just kind of about, you know, with, why that doesn't work for you and probably many other people, um, a little bit about your spiritual background and kind of where that's led to now. Sure. So I was, I think as I mentioned, I was raised Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school um, up until second grade. My oldest sisters and brother graduated from Catholic high schools. I didn't, I went to public high school. Um, I was confirmed in the Catholic church, um, but through all of this, I really started to struggle with the whole Catholic sexual abuse priest scandal yeah. and all of that. And I struggled with, um, in even just, you know, confession, it's, it was, how is this helping me? Mm-hmm. How, how do I put these pieces and parts together? How, where is the, where's the support? Where is all that? Yeah. And it was probably in my uh, college years that I kind of came to the conclusion that this, this, this wasn't me. This was what was forced on me as a child. Mm-hmm. My father had been, before he got married, my father was actually a Franciscan monk. Oh, and my considered, God. Yeah, <laughs> considered to going into the priesthood and he didn't. So I think for me, there's all these layers within religion as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I, it's not that I'm not spiritual. I truly do not believe that there is a, in a higher power. That's personally me. Mm-hmm. I believe that we should all be tolerant of each other for whatever belief system that is. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. we're all connected, right? Yeah. I believe that we're all here to help each other. And I believe that you can live morally without necessarily having a religion. Right. Right. And I mean, the, whether it was in your background with a very, a uh, very public um, everything that went down with the Catholic Church, or even in non-Catholic and in, in other uh, Protestant churches, and in Jewish churches. I mean, just religion in general, how it, how it has historically handled sexuality. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's all the issues just with, especially as women relating to our bodies and relating to our sexuality, yeah. but then also sexual repression and exactly. how that impacts anyone's behavior, but certainly anyone in power. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it gets tricky because I'm certainly never going to say that like, oh, well, you know, your dad was wanting to be a monk. And so there's a good chance he was very sexually repressed. And so that's why he did what he did. I mean, it certainly doesn't help. Um, But I am just, I feel like I should have the answer to this, um, just doing the work that I do, but I still grapple other than hurt people, hurt people. Why, what is your sense having done this work and a lot of your own personal work? Why do people do that? Why do people sexually abuse their children? Why, or, or why do you view that your this happened between your dad and you? Oh, wow. <laughs> Big um, question. It's, it's the question. Right? And honestly, I spent 
years and years really trying to understand the why. Yeah. Okay. And I finally got to a point where, I mean, to the point where even after he had died, my mother actually stepped up for me at that point in time and we became friends. Mm. But in the process of doing that, she actually helped me go back to get the records from the Child Protective Services mm-hmm. and also tried to help me get his therapy records, um, mm. really. And, but they couldn't wow. find it. Ah. So, and again, that quest for the why. Yeah. And it took me a long time to finally say, I don't need to answer that why. Yeah. I, and if I'm going to beat my head against the wall, because I will never understand right. why. Now, there are factors in my view that help allow it to happen. Sure. Right? Not talking about it allows mm-hmm. it to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, this shroud of secrecy around sexuality, around, yep. you know, your right to your own body, uh, just mm-hmm. talking about teaching sex in school. Yeah. That whole thing kind of allows it to happen. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't, it's got nothing to do with sex. It's got to do with control. Right. And right. manipulation. Yep. Absolutely. Right? And I think in some ways that there, there are, I don't know, I think, whether, is there an illness? Uh, maybe, maybe he, he could have been a sociopath. Right. Um, right. Is there a, what makes one person do something versus another? Right. In any kind of crime. Yeah. And that's what this is. It's a crime. Right. right. Yeah. And there there are just so many factors and that because of all the factors, it's going to be different in every case. You know, in one case, it might be like, oh, okay, well, this other person's parent or grandfather or whoever had sexually abused them. And it, and it makes a little bit of sense, even though it doesn't make it any more okay. There's mm-hmm. things that can help it make a little bit of sense. And that secrecy and um, don't talk about that. We don't talk about this kind of stuff that mm-hmm. definitely, you know, helps to make a little more sense of this kind of stuff. And like you said, any, any type of power and control issues that, that people are going through and that this is one of the ways that that manifests. Um, and, and I just have to correct my words earlier. Cause I think I said, what ha- what made this happen between you and your dad? My, what I should have said is what made your dad do this to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's, it is so, so complex and, and whether it is more trauma related or whether in some cases, I think that there is sociopathy involved. And even then it's like, what do we do in terms of understanding these potential risk factors mm-hmm. um, when it comes to prevention efforts? Like yeah. that's something I'd be curious to hear about from as you've delved into this sort of field is mm-hmm. what, what is being done in terms of prevention, whether yeah. it's just for sexual abuse in general or for incest. So I, I can honestly tell you that I'm, 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 I'm the firm belief that things have changed. We're moving in a good progression forward. Mm. We're not there yet. We yeah. have a long way to go. But we have made progress over the last 20, 25 years. Mm. And some of the things that I'll point to are um, law changes. So mm-hmm. there's Erin's uh, Law that is, I think, now in 37 states. I think New York just approved it in June this year Mm. and what that does is it forces requires public schools to teach um being safe in your own body 
Mm, wow. Right? I can't believe yeah. I didn't know about that. That's incredible. Yeah. So there's, there's still a few states to go, but this was an incest survivor herself, Erin. Mm. And it's erinslaw.org in case you mm. want to look at it. Great. I'll put it in the uh, show notes. But, yeah, but there were three components, right? There's the students grade K through 12, that they have to have age appropriate techniques about child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. That they also teach school personnel about mm -hmm. child sexual abuse, um, how to recognize, how to deal with, if, respond if somebody comes or a child comes to them, that kind of thing. And then also teaches parents and guardians about the warning signs. Mm. So it's kind of a three-tiered. So that's huge. That's um, huge. And that came from a survivor basically pushing for change. Mm. That's one example. I think there's work around the statute of limitations mm -hmm. in terms of holding perpetrators accountable. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of people don't disclose when they're children. A lot right. of people disclose as adults. And I was surprised to actually learn that I think the statistic is that about one third disclose as children, one third disclose as um, adults, and one third mm -hmm. never disclose. Wow. Mm -hmm. And of the one third that disclose as adults, that it's average age of disclosure is in their 50s. Wow. So yeah, lived with this all their lives mm -hmm. and have been unable to, to speak it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine often in those cases, you know, even if the statute of limitations change, I wonder if sometimes part of what makes it safe to disclose that late in life is perhaps the perpetrator is dead. Yeah. 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 So I'm thinking about people listening and you know, I'm sure we've got some of those, the, we've got a lot of the eight and tens listening who maybe this hasn't happened to directly, but they more than likely at least know somebody to whom it has. So mm -hmm. maybe the first question around um, that is anything that you advise, if there is somebody listening who um, maybe has a partner or a close friend who has experienced incest, how they can best support that person? Honestly, it's start with believing and mm -hmm. listening. Yeah. It's, it's just validating and being open to whatever they may need. And if you don't know what they need, ask. Mm -hmm. you know, somebody's saying, I don't know how I can help you. What would you like from me? Would you like me to sit with you? Would you like me to whatever it is? But if you don't know, just ask. Yeah. Right? Um, but I really think the biggest thing is, believing and then acknowledging that this is not something that is just going to go away. Mm -hmm. This is not something to say, okay, it happened in the past, just get over it. Right. We talked about it once. No. So now we don't need to talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, it's not, this is your life. This is yeah. the way, this is like undoing the way that you were raised. Mm -hmm. This is not an event. This was a lifestyle. Yeah. So you're changing a lifestyle. It is not something that's going to just, Talk about it once and it's over because it's right. not over, mm -hmm. right? The impacts of this are not over for me. I still can't go to the dentist, mm. right? I cannot handle the sound of a drill because it triggers me. Yeah. I can, I struggle brush, brushing my teeth with things inserted into my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there are constant things that continue today that I am a highly functioning um, yeah. woman, uh, but there will always be aspects of this 
that that's the way that I see and view life. Yeah. I view it through what I call a survivor's lens. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think is so beautiful about how you just described that is that you can hold both, that you can you can honor and really own that I am highly functioning and thriving and have a lot of joy in my life and a lot of purpose and, and all of that and, and stability. And through my survivor's lens, there's still some things that are really hard or that impact me in a, in a different way than they would anybody else. And because I, I just think of, I think sometimes people internalize the shame of if they do have something like that about the dentist or something else mm-hmm. that's a trigger, they, they think, well, I must still just be so broken. When in reality, you know, both of those are true. This is hard and I have a lot of growth, healing, stability, all of that. Well, I look at it as I've accepted my limitations. Mm-hmm. And this is just one thing that uh, uh, is a limitation for me, yeah. right? For example, as I was raising our, my children, my husband, I couldn't put my children to bed. Mm. Okay, we found other ways to, instead of beating myself up on that, yeah. we found other ways to deal with it. He put them to bed. Right. I could read them before, so we came up with strategies. I could yeah. read with them, he would then take them up and put them to bed. That's okay? great. Does that make me less of a mother? Absolutely not. not. Yeah. Right. I I mean, I adore my children. I've taken care of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain things that I, I can and can't do. It's like somebody saying, um, I don't like spiders. Yeah. So somebody else has to go kill the spiders. And I just, I am just soaking this in right now. And I love the way of looking at that, of that there, there are certain limitations. I think we live in this culture of almost obsessive personal development to the extent of like, well, if I'm still scared of spiders, like I need to just like do my exposure therapy. I need to be like that. We need to like work through everything and, and be good at everything and, and get rid of every limitation. And it's just, that's not how we function. That's not how we work. And so I really, I really want people to hear that that doesn't mean that like, oh, well, I guess I struggle with focus. So I guess I'm never going to be able to you know, reach my business dreams or goal. Like it's not that, but there might be just related to trauma, related to just how each of us tick as a person. There's ways to just own and not work against who you are, but work with it. Yeah, you play to your strengths. Yeah. In business, which is where my background is, right? I've been in the insurance industry for 30 years. It's you play to your strengths. You figure out how to <laughs> deal with weaknesses, right? You can't just ignore it. Yeah. But figure out how it's not a problem. Yeah. And from there. And it yeah. doesn't have to be 100% you. Yeah. You have all the resources available to you. That yeah. All have limitations. Not just yeah. for survivors or, or whatever. Right. Everyone has limitations. Somebody's an artist. Okay. Can they balance a checkbook? Okay. If they can't, don't beat yourself up that you can't. Right. There's another way to deal with that. Yeah. Exactly. No, I love that. And it's, it sounds so simple, but I really do think that we've, we've gotten away from, I mean, so much of our issue is we get away from all the simple truths and we get caught up in all of this BS. So I love that. Um, so then for the people listening who might be the one in nine mm-hmm. um, and maybe have not even told anyone, have not embarked 
on that have just like, I'm going to shove that in a box, throw it to the back of the attic in my brain, hope it never comes out. Um, in case there's anyone like that listening, what would you want to say to them? I, the, the one that, what I would say is that I use a term called Yana, Y-A-N-A. Mm-hmm. And it's actually my dog's name. <laughs> it's an acronym for you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's what I would say is one, you're not alone. This isn't something that you had. It wasn't your fault. No matter what, as a child, it was not your fault. Mm. I, I don't care what you did. I, I don't care if you're standing naked on the beach. and you Absolutely. It is not your fault. He was the adult. Mm-hmm. Right. So one, that's not your fault. And two, that it doesn't have to own you. It mm. doesn't have to be the thing that consumes you or that you fear or that I'm not saying that therapy is easy and that getting past it and integrating yeah. it is easy. There's work. And I'm not going to tell you that there isn't work, mm-hmm. but there is life after that. And it can be a good life. It can be a very rewarding life because you see things from a different perspective. Yeah. Right. I don't consider that I've, I don't think you heal. I think you, there's a healing journey. Mm-hmm. I think where I am in my life is that I have started to integrate. I've integrated my past into my present. Mm-hmm. I am who I am and I accept who I am. And I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty bad, but <laughs> I mean, <there's, laughs> I mean I, when you go to work, you got to go to work and you got sometimes. You yeah, sure. Pays on. But I honestly, if somebody has a problem with it's not really my problem. It's their problem in hearing it. So what I would say to, to basically to survivors is it's okay. There are people that do understand you are not alone. It is much more common than anyone is ever going to admit to. Mm-hmm. And there is life after the, the healing components yeah. or the journey and it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I would add to that, like for people who maybe have not had either any exposure to therapy or not good exposures to therapy Mm -hmm. that, you know, talk to your, your circle or someone you trust about finding somebody skilled. I mean, there's a lot you can find online and just make a phone call and talk to a few different people um, or talk to people you trust and ask them because, I don't think I've heard anyone specifically around incest say this, but but definitely around you know rapes and 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 just other other traumatic experiences mm-hmm. where they've ended up with a therapist who you know like I don't think would sit there and be like oh well what did you do to make this happen but did not validate the experience in the way that it needed to be yeah and so if if anyone has ever had an experience of feeling that way in therapy. It's therapy is not the problem. It's that therapist is the problem. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I mean, I'll give myself as the perfect example. Mm -hmm. I was in therapy once, twice, three times while my father was still alive. Mm -hmm. And it it was just, they were not positive experiences. They were helpful in some cases in the moment. Yeah. But some of it was the therapist, Mm -hmm. but some of it was that I wasn't ready. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it was a combination of things. So what I would say there is, even if you tried it once, it doesn't mean that it's, it's as you indicated, that therapy is the problem. It's the yeah. therapist and where you are in the moment. Exactly. Don't give up. Yeah. Try again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then for maybe people who have um, been through some of that or know somebody who has done that kind of work and might be looking for additional resources, tell us a little bit about what your kind of services and, and offerings actually look like with Tale of the Bell. Sure. So a little bit of background on Tale of the Bell. Yeah. Um, Tale of the Bell is a company that I started a couple of years ago. And as I indicated earlier on that I, I am an actuary by training. So Tale of the Bell is the extreme end of the bell curve, meaning it's the extreme experiences of life. Mm. Okay. That's where the name comes from. Um, and so what I did is after having lost my husband and finding that there weren't resources out there to help pass therapy, mm-hmm. that I went back to school and I became a life coach. And I now uh, focus on providing individual and group therapy, not therapy, individual and group coaching yeah. uh, to incest survivors very specifically mm-hmm. to really help with in the moment type stuff. It's life transition stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily need therapy. You need someone that gets it. You yeah. need someone that can help with, okay, I want to do this and this keeps getting in the way. Help yeah. me set goals. Mm-hmm. Help me walk beside me as we do the walk through those goals. Yeah. So that is one thing that I do is I offer coaching services for very specifically for incest survivors mm-hmm. and very specifically for those who have healed enough that have gone through therapy and don't need therapy at this point. Right. They need someone to help them through and understand. And particularly in the group programs. Yeah. You is it survivor to survivor. It's a pretty amazing thing to have. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I mean, I had someone, um, one point we were talking about intimate relationships and I had somebody say, well, what happens if you're, you want, you just need a different transition from when you want to get intimate with someone who you, your partner is a loving, caring partner. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that transition? And so I had people talk about, here's the way that I would transition. We have a, yeah. we have a code that he, he has to take my hand first. And if, if, I don't let his hand go until I'm ready because I've gotten to that moment. So he knows that he can't do anything else mm-hmm. until I've let go of his hand. Yeah. So it's little techniques and things like that, that we can share and talk about, you know, those are real things. That's not therapy. I love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and I know that you're ethical and skillful enough. I can just tell in talking with you that if somebody were to come across your path who did also need therapy, that, yep. that they could do that either before working with you, yes. in addition to working with you. Yes. And I mean, I can just t- imagine so many clients that I've had coming to mind right now who I would have loved to either have had them you know, work with you after seeing yeah. me or, or in tandem. And so yeah. I just think it's, it's really, really um, needed. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're offering that. And then you have a podcast as well. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. So my podcast started a couple of months ago and I very specifically focus on, I'm trying to reach those survivors that haven't got to the point where they've reached out for help yet. Mm. Um, and they're not necessarily in therapy yet, or they've, they're still struggling. And that's my primary audience that I'm trying to reach. Now, I think that they also help raise awareness to those who may be supporting survivors to better understand, Yeah. right? But the way that I do it is I, I 
talk about a specific topic each episode, and I bring it to life with a, a survivor story. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I, it's a where are they now? Because I also want it to be a beacon of hope that yeah. survivors are sharing their story. And I do it in various ways. I'm perfectly comfortable. I want it safe for the survivor. So I'm perfectly comfortable with those survivors, either they're using their whole name, their full name, first name, or a pseudonym, right? Whatever mm-hmm. they're most comfortable with. And I've had a variety of each. Um, so I've done topics such as uh, what's happening when you're in it, like dissociation was one, mm-hmm. boundaries was another. Um, I've had someone do one on what's happening when you experience physical pleasure mm-hmm. during the abuse, which is a whole other yeah. avenue of pain, right? Right. Um, and then I also do ones that are more where are you now, more advocate type related. So I had one just recently come out where I was interviewing a survivor who had partnered with a chief of police from a college and they were training police officers on college campuses with regard to how should a cop respond. Yeah. Wow. And and what he was actually, he was on the podcast as well. So it was the two of them. And he was, it was amazing to me because I was learning as well. Yeah. That he's basically saying that this goes against everything that a police officer is trained to do. Mm-hmm. Like a police officer is trained to look at you and if you're not making eye contact, then they think you're lying. Survivors <laughs> <laughs> right. are making eye contact. <clears throat> right. Right? So, so the podcast, um, I try to do it weekly, not always successful in doing yeah, that. I get it. it. Multiple times a month. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Great. um, There's about 11 or so episodes out there. Um, Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait for people to to check that out. And and I'm sure you have a whole very comprehensive kind of resources guide somewhere Mm -hmm. on the website. But even if you could just give like, what is your favorite book? I mean, the old kind of standard is Courage to Heal, I think is one of them. But do you have a favorite book or something, maybe it's not even a book that either has helped you through your journey or you've seen help others? So Courage to Heal is clearly one, and then there's the partner component to that um, as a substance, uh, yeah, I can't even talk, um, as a secondary component. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's clearly one that's still there. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time truly with self-help books. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I tend to think more in the moment. I think how do I get myself from where I am right now to get to the next moment? How do I mm-hmm. function? And so I do a lot more personally with more um, inspirational quotes. And cool. just to kind of, and so I actually have a mantra that for a long time, it stood over my bed. And when I needed it, it was there. And mm-hmm. my mantra was, I can, I will watch me. Yes. Amen. And there were times when, depending on what made me have to say that, that it was effing watch me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's great. But I also find there is one book that I do reread periodically. Mm. And it's not a self-help book, actually. It's called Night by Eli Weissel. Yeah. And he was a concentration camp survivor during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And he then became a professor at um, one of the colleges in Massachusetts. It's Eli Weissel. And the book is called Night. It's a very good read. And I reread that book. It's probably one of the few books that I actually reread, but I probably reread it once a year or two. Yeah. It really is grounding. Mm. It's where I am right now. If he can do this, I can do this. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you can survive, you can get through. And it's a matter of you saying and believing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, but I've never read Night. I've heard of it for years and years, so I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't read it because I know it's not even that long. So I am making a public declaration here. I'm going to read the book. Um, yeah, and I think it's just so... I, I want, I always am curious about with things like that, where I'm like, oh yeah, I've been saying, oh, I should read that for years. Why haven't I done it? Well, obviously I know it's heavy, even if it's also hopeful. Yes. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us tend to avoid heavy when we can. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm curious too, since so much of what you do is heavy, even if it's also looking at the hope side and the, and the life after side and mm-hmm. all of that what do you do to connect to kind of that sense of lightness or just fun or joy in your day-to-day life? So I'm a, I'm a big dog lover. Awesome. <laughs> and I actually have a Newfoundland that cool. is my, that's my buddy that she's my escape and that's my Yana, right? Yeah. Um, she actually was born on the first anniversary of my late husband's death. Mm. So that's how she got her name. And yeah. he really is to me, that's, it's, it's, you know what? You can talk to a dog and there's no judgment. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so I, I like to spend the time with my, with my dogs. Um, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, but I also need at times what I'm doing is so abstract and so deep at times that I need to sometimes get creative. Mm. So I tend to quilt. I cool. kind of, I at one point was dabbling in stained glass, but it's very expensive. Uh, yeah. Hobby <laughs> to have, but I think it's fine, and I cook. It's cool. something that will give me quick. Um, I can make something. I can see something. I can experience something. Yeah. That's to me, because it helps ground that this is real. This right. Is- Absolutely. Like what you, I, what you said, I just resonate so much with. So much of what I do is in the realm of of thought and feeling and you know spirit or soul or whatever you want to call it energy and mm-hmm. and so to be able to come back to something tangible physical is so valuable yeah, yeah. Yep. awesome well is there anything else that you want to share with us about what you're up to or where people can go to learn more about you so um yeah my, my website is um uh, the, the podcast is the same name, Tale of the Bell, and you can get it anywhere on any of the podcast networks, whether it be Apple, um, iTunes, or Spreaker, iHeartRadio. It's out there on all of them. Great. Um, so that's one. And I think the other thing is, I think it's just about being comfortable being you. Yeah. And Which I- you might have actually just answered my final question, though <laughs> feel free to add to it. Because- Nancy, what is the fucking point? <laughs> Honestly, I think the point is that it's changing, it's evolving, um, and that we're all in this together. Um, that, to me, is the point. And that the more that we're aware and then the more that we're open to talking about things, the easier things become. This isn't a death sentence. This isn't a, this is about, you know, accepting and being comfortable with I am who I am. I have warts. I have things that I can't do. And that's all okay. Yeah. Just be comfortable being who you are. Absolutely. All there is to it. Mm. 
I, that's a mic drop, so I don't have anything to add. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to come on and do this. This was such a wonderful conversation and valuable, I think, for, for survivors and anyone who knows and loves a survivor, which is most of us. So yeah. thank well, Valerie, you. Thank you so much for having me here. OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin, spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Just go to bit.ly slash WTFP review, all lowercase, and it'll take you less than a minute. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions. <laughs>